Assalamu alaikum everyone. Welcome to another episode of the TMV podcast brought to you by The Muslim Vibe. My name is Salim Qasim and I'm your host for this week's podcast. Today I'm joined by Barak Hussain, aka The Muslim Counselor. Barak is a registered psychotherapist at a university in Ottawa, Canada, treating both local and international students. She also does a lot of mental health advocacy and public speaking internationally to help destigmatize and bring more awareness around these issues. Today we're going to be talking about Seasonal Affective Disorder, or SAD, which is a form of depression that people experience seasonally. Now, in the UK alone, 3% of people experience this, um, which may seem like a small number, but that amounts to 1.98 million people. We thought we'd look at Seasonal Affective Disorder, potentially drawing in an Islamic perspective and looking at the relationship between spirituality and mood and depression. We'll also be putting some of your questions around this issue to Barack herself. Before we get underway, a quick word from our sponsor, Wahid Invest. Wahid helps you become a halal investor in minutes. Clients from over 40 states have already started their journey with us. Here's how it works. First, we ask you eight simple questions to recommend a portfolio based on your risk profile. You then select your portfolio and simply sign up online. Your account can be approved in seconds. After you fund your account, we'll place the trades for you. All you have to do then is sit back and monitor your performance. It actually is that easy. Assalamu alaikum, Barak. Wa alaikum salam. Thank you for joining us once again after quite a long time, actually, since we've done one of these. Yes, yes, it has been. Alhamdulillah, good to be back. Um, that's great. I think let's jump right in. Um, so today we're talking about seasonal affective disorder or uh, SAD. I don't know, do, do people call it SAD or just SAD? Yeah, also. As the winter blues. As the winter blues. Okay, so um, what is it, I guess, is the first question. So, it's, uh, it appears during the colder months of the fall and winter where there's less exposure to sunlight during the day. So you could have potential depression symptoms that could be mild to moderate. And so in this case... Um, People who suffer from SAD um, could exhibit symptoms such as fatigue, lack of interest in normal activities, social withdrawal, craving foods, high carbs. Um, there could be weight gain in relation to that, and overall poor mood. So they can become easily irritated, that, feel a little bit sad. Yeah. Doesn't doesn't that just? I, I mean, that sounds like just experiencing winter, or, or is, does everyone it, go it, through it some form of that? It could. Not everybody would be impacted by that. I mean, these symptoms, they often pay when spring comes and people don't really feel that during summer, but definitely during the winter that can occur. And because it's directly linked to biochemical imbalances in the brain yeah. that occurs from shorter daylight hours and the lack of sunlight in winter, right? So, so just like sunlight of the seasonal activities of animals yeah uh, we could say that SAD may have may be an effect of the seasonal light variation in humans as well so just the seasons change people experience in their biological internal clock that can yeah. cause them to be out of step with their daily schedule and, yeah. and 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 how does that then um i mean it, it makes sense but how mm-hmm. how do people or how can you tell if it's like if it's a, a serious thing that needs to be addressed in your life or it's just you're, you're, you're feeling colder and there's not as much sun and, and so you just want to stay home and, and eat ice cream? 
well, I would imagine you'd probably want hot chocolate, not. Oh yeah, so that that, that makes more sense. Right? I was just imagined like watching yeah, a movie yeah. and eating ice cream, but yeah, I I mean hot chocolate makes yeah, more sense. Definitely sour. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so the difference would be is just as just as though um, you're experiencing depression. So you know, a lot of us when we see the cold outside, don't feel like going out. Like you said, just bundle up with something warm and fun. TV fireplace. Um, you guys call it the telly, right? Yeah. <laughs> the telly? Yeah. So uh, there's a difference with that. And, you know, that's a normal feeling. But then, like, we're describing, <laughs> excuse me, the fatigue and lack of interest in normal activities. So just as though you're exhibiting uh, symptoms of depression, where you know that you were not engaged in your normal activities, that would be the difference. There's the, all of us have those days where we don't feel going out in the cold, but then when you've noticed that you're not regularly you know doing regular work or school work or engaged in usual activities and then all the other that we described that's when it becomes more of the area i say as opposed to i don't feel like going outside okay and and with regards to like trying to bring in a bit, a bit of an uh, islamic perspective into this um mm-hmm. if if we're talking about seasonal affective disorder as being this kind of form of depression um, the, the the common thing, and I think we've discussed it the last time we spoke, um, where when mm-hmm. when people are experiencing anything to do with you know remotely linked with depression, from a from an Islamic perspective, the, the response is always, oh, but maybe you've kind of lost your faith or your spirituality is weak or whatever else. Now, is there a link between spirituality and things like depression, and and specifically with this, like you know, would someone of strong iman, for example, not experience SAD. I I don't see that's a tricky question in the sense that when it comes to biology, forget religion and spirituality, that doesn't keep you immune from getting cancer or getting a cold. Would you not say you're still going to get those physical illnesses regardless of your faith? Yeah. When it comes to something like this, it's gonna. It has nothing to do with faith. It has to do with biology. A lot of research has shown that. And if you look at melatonin, it's a sleep-related hormone that has that has been associated with SAD, because this hormone, which is linked to depression, is produced at increased levels in the dark. So what does that mean? It means that when days are shorter and darker, you have more melatonin that is produced in your body, and we have some evidence that suggests that, you know, for example, someone who lives further away from the equator, they're more likely to develop this. Yeah. And this again has to do with um, sunlight and whatnot. So, so then you have. Are you saying sorry? Populate, yeah. Sorry to cut Go you ahead. off, but are you saying then that spirituality has nothing to do with this? SAD. Yeah. I, I don't believe so. Okay. Because most of the research indicates that it is related to the hormone levels in our body, melatonin, which has been associated with SAD, and there's an increase of um, of it in levels in the dark. Right. And this yeah. this hormone is linked to depression. So when you're looking at it from a clinical depression, it's got nothing to do with faith. Like I said, it's just like you catching a cold in the winter. Does it have anything to do with your faith? No, it doesn't. Mm. You know, there are ways of using faith to help specifically with this, of course. Yeah. Or any other mental health challenges, of course. But I would not say that if you experience the winter blues or as a B, it means that you have low spirituality or faith at all. Uh, one of the things you just said earlier reminded me of something that one of our readers sent in. They asked how long um, SAD is a seasonal thing and, and when do they know if 
their um, SAD has progressed into clinical depression? It's, it usually kicks in around January, February. And we're talking North America as our winters are quite different than the winters in the UK. I can attest that having been in, um, <laughs> in London last year in February, yeah. uh, where there were three centimeters of snow at minus three and the whole world just turned upside down over there. Um, that's a joke for Canadians because we experience minus 30 plus 30 centimeters of snow and we still go out every day for our work and do our thing. So it's very comparable to, yes, of course, to where you are yeah. living, but it's the symptoms are similar where you may be regardless like of what we described, right? Because sun will go down um, sooner. There is the increase of the melatonin, which is linked to depression. And so when we talk about time frame it's usually a winter to spring type of thing and, until the time changes again when there's more sunlight out there mm. clinically you will notice this <coughs> excuse me if you are experiencing SAD it should dissipate around the spring time if it continues then of course you may be dealing with something that's more clinical in which you should see a doctor to get the appropriate treatment for it and um when we talked about spirituality just just a few minutes ago, um, mm-hmm. I th- I actually found that really interesting because, as you said, when when you compare it to a cold or you know anything any physical ailment, you would never say that oh this person's iman is weak, therefore they have got a cold. Um, exactly. But then why why does the inverse happen when it comes to <laughs> anything I guess mental health related? Again, this goes down to all the stereotypes that we've. Ex- and through all the lectures and workshops that I've uh, done in different parts of the world where we try to destigmatize, right? Because there's a lot of fear, there's a lot of misunderstanding, lack of knowledge on what mental illnesses are. And it's always interesting to have this discussion. I always open up my workshops or lectures with that topic in terms of, or give me the definition of what is mental health. And then people start getting into depression, anxiety, all these negative connotations or topics related, but I, and then I would go back and said, but I didn't say mental health, I said mental health. You see the difference? Mm. But when we talk about physical health, people talk about eating healthy, working out, balance, and these are the exact same things that happen when we talk about mental health. It is about balance, right? Yeah. Balancing all aspects of your life, spirituality, economical, physical, work life, social life, spirituality, all of that. But people right away have <coughs> the misunderstanding that when we talk about mental health, is the negative thing. Yeah. And so when we look at people who are struggling with illnesses, others right away, um, those who are not educated or knowledgeable about it, will have those you know misconceptions and taboos around the topic. Whereas you know somebody talks about breaking a leg or getting a cold, it's normal, it's adi, as we say, but right. not when it comes to mental illnesses. I do say there is a shift now, as there has been a lot more talk in our communities the last few years alhamdulillah i've been really happy to see that people including in you know religious centers and lectures are um uh, you know approaching this topic you just have to be careful because um you have to be in the area in terms of actually clinically treating people to be able to talk about treatment really great people in such positions are talking about it and bringing more awareness especially from a spiritual religious point of view to kind of stigmatize and that's why you have more events in different centers because there has been a little bit of break of stigma and it's being more mainstream in the muslim community you know up until a few years ago this has been a main taboo topic in the mainstream cultures so imagine within our own communities which are very tight-lipped about 
you know, uh, taboo topics. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think I, I've definitely seen, even in the time that we've been doing things with Muslim Vibe, um, there's been a, sh- a huge shift in our mm-hmm. senses towards events geared around mental health. And I, I think that old narrative of if you're feeling depressed, read the Quran, um, which I wouldn't say is obviously, you know, I'm not saying don't read the Quran, but, but the, the, we, we need to also have a serious clinical conversation around this stuff. Um, and it's great to Absolutely. it's great that we're finally doing that. But I think mm-hmm. um, the, the concern, as you mentioned, is that when people are speaking from not a position of authority, that's where sometimes the conversations can be a bit dangerous. and I think harmful, right, because the, the impact around this stuff um, is is literally life or death. Exactly. It would be the same as people who are not trained in the religious studies going up on the mumber and speaking about topics yeah. they don't have the formal education on. And also, like you said, it comes very dangerously close to life and death when you, you are talking to an audience, let's say, and you could trigger audience members who are dealing with severe depression and suicidal thoughts. So, you know, I, I highly encourage that any, any person who like to put on any mental health events in religious centers i highly encourage it first of all but second if you are going to have a scholar speak on the topic make sure you also have a mental health expert either in the room or on the panel as well yeah and what's the um what's your experience been like um at these kinds of events in terms of because you mentioned triggering people and I, i know i've heard um especially conversations around mental health and events around mental health often people will come forward and and almost talk about completely undiagnosed problems that they have. And as you said, that they've, mm-hmm. they've only kind of realized on the spot in that moment that they've been holding on to something or they've been dealing with something um, without knowing it. Is that something that you've experienced? Definitely. A lot of people will come and speak to me after events and wonderful that they feel safe to do so because the whole goal of the event, and I say that right at the beginning, is to create that comfort where we can talk about this normally and with each other within the community, not just coming to me. Because I'm coming to the community, giving lectures and workshops, hopefully trying to set up something with the community members to do long-term events and supports, and then I leave, right? So that has to be created there. But um, I do see a lot of uh, people coming forward and, and, you know, disclosing or asking for referrals and they talk to in, in their own cities and whatnot, definitely. And it's been, been great because, like I said, people have been feeling a little bit more safe to reach out and ask for help. Yeah, and and coming back to um, SAD, so we, mm-hmm. you, you said how it's not necessarily um, an issue with someone's spirituality um, that would lead to something like this, and, and I, I take that point on board, but you did also mention that you can harness and use spirituality to kind of help you deal with this, or use Islam generally to kind of help you deal with, um, you know, clinical depression potentially, but also these kind of seasonal um issues can you shed some light on that well listen any um any problem and whatnot we have solutions in our faith as we know for that and when it comes to mental illnesses that also is included here there's all sorts of treatments that we can look at from the clinical side but even if you look at a non-islamic clinical perspective that is all, um, spirituality is included in therapy sometimes, depending on the client's um, the world, right? So 
in my line of work, a lot of clients I see are from diverse backgrounds, including Muslim backgrounds. And depending on what the client wants, we could include spirituality slash Islam within the therapy. And so what does that mean? That means including the language when we talk in therapy, right? So yes, using the word inshallah, um, you know, God willing, that brings comfort to people, believe it or not. Um, within the therapy itself, we use God as a point of focus and, and the divine in terms of using a source of support, a source of inspiration, a source of strength, just like we would in our daily lives, right? And so when we talk about spirituality, we would incorporate it this way, take it to the next level in terms of prayer and du'as and, you know, the duties that we have in our faith. There's a lot of um, research out there from a non-Islamic per- perspective on the effect of prayer on um, the human psyche and the effect of mental, sorry, and its effect on mental health and our well-being. In the last few years, we've had more research from professionals from a mental, a Muslim mental health perspective, exploring these topics in conferences and journals. In fact, I'm heading to a conference this um, weekend in Toronto called the Canadian Muslim to Health Conference. This is their third annual, and inshallah, I'll be attending as a delegate from uh, the Sunni Islamic health awareness group and i presented at this uh, conference a few years ago and i got to see other professionals in the field from muslim background who are passionate about this topic as i am and yes we do look at different um forms of treatment from our own islamic therapy and i say islamic therapy and i do mean salah i do mean dua i do mean fasting i do mean the basic stuff that we have in our faith that we know it's supposed to be a spiritual purification but we're looking at it from a clinical perspective how it impacts us. The act of prayer helps the way the blood moves in our heads when we bend down, you know, uh, into the frontal lobe and how that impacts our body. The movement itself is very yoga-like if you look at it, right? Yeah. The impact of fasting. We know there's lots of research on how fasting is very detoxifying and how it gets rid of toxins in our body and how it calms the, you know, the body down, et cetera, et cetera. Well, that has a huge impact on your mental well-being. Du'as, supplications, the daily remembrance of God, we know from the the, the ayah from the Quran, Surah Tarad, thunder, and I'll say it in Arabic and translate, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim, ala bi al-qulub, barely with the remembrance of God, do hearts find serenity. So these are small little things that, that can be incorporated in the actual therapy session with the client, depending on how we speak, depending on what challenges they are experiencing it gives hope to people it gives um, a sense of inspiration now you have people who sometimes who are spiritually inclined but not necessarily do the religious acts and then they'll come in and say well i've stopped praying and i'll say something like well don't pray <laughs> and the reaction is what it's the it's a reverse psychology trick i use right i'm not actually telling people not to pray but i'll say well don't put that pressure on yourself right now They'll look at me, but we're supposed to pray. We've been used to this since we were children. You know, it's we become trained, by the way, when we, you know, our parents are constantly telling us to pray. And then we don't pray. We feel like we're doing something wrong. Something's missing. So when I tell the client from me, well, that's okay. Don't pray right now. They look at me strange because they know, well, that's not the usual response. So, you know, right there, there's an innate response within them that feels that this is not right. And so we explore these things. And I find usually by the end of the session or two, Clients will come back and say, you know, I'd like to be able to pray more. How can I do that? 
Yeah. Because no, I don't sit there and say, okay, you need to pray. You need to strengthen your faith with God. You need to read the Quran to feel better. That's not how it works. You incorporate that very gently, depending where the client is at, what their religious inclinations are. Because you could have somebody from a Muslim background who is not practicing whatsoever. You cannot enforce that in session. You go with what the client feels. Most clients who are coming to see me, um, specifically, and I've had clients seeking me out, it's because they want that kind of language and support within the therapy, right? Yeah. And so it's always beautiful to incorporate, you know, from the Quran or hadith, just like we use inspirational quotes from all sorts of philosophers and psychological inspirations, right? We do that in our therapy from Islamic perspective, and it, and it works beautifully. And especially, for example, when we talk about meditation and listening to, let's say, relaxation music, well, if we do it from an Islamic counseling perspective, we could listen to beautiful recitations of uh, from famous reciters we have nowadays or Quran recitations that just lift up the spirit when you listen to them. Yeah. And these are things that I've done in workshops that you see the impact of it when you see people in the audiences. They're just so into it because they're there trying to listen. You know, what is this Islamic counseling saying all about? I think this is very much. Yeah. Sorry, I think this is a, a really important point. Um, just looking at that dual perspective, and again, it's something I think mm-hmm. the first time we spoke, we addressed this, where the the stigma has always been when people are looking at things like mental health, there's this kind of concern that going to a a non-Muslim clinical psychologist, that that God doesn't feature in the in the healing process, and where does your religion fit and where does your spirituality fit in all of this? In a sort of, in my opinion, at least an increasingly, um, uh, a world I think that's that's moving almost further away from God just in our sort of indulgence with materialism and, and all the other things that we have, all the distractions around us, it's increasingly difficult to find five, ten minutes in your day to pray um, and to be mindful of God and to do dhikr and all of those things. So I think when someone addresses the fact that that they have an issue within themselves that needs a, that needs um, addressing, that mm-hmm. they want, and especially from a Muslim perspective, you would want God to be a feature of that healing process. Um, and that's almost a difficulty to find. And I think this is where it's good that we've opened up these conversations that offer that dual perspective. The fact that these talks are happening within our mosques, the fact that, there, as you said, there will be a religious figure like a sheikh there, but also a mental health professional who is trained, who is who has done everything, being there talking about these things. I think that's um it's quite it's quite uplifting and I think it's quite promising and, and it says that we, for me at least it says that we're going in the right direction. Um because more yeah, people are a lot yeah. more open I mean, about these things. They are they are and you look at the some of the big centers in the in London, they're doing that. Just look at the posters events that you see on social media. I'm, I've been so proud and I've been contacting them and telling them way to go. This is amazing. Um, that they're doing that. So alhamdulillah, I'm so happy to see that the trend is continuing and more and more audiences, including males, because they tend to pull away from these topics, are going and listening to both female and male speakers, chefs, and mental health experts. That's great. Uh, that's an interesting mm-hmm. point, actually. Why, why do men not talk about these things? <laughs> that's something that I bring up in my uh, workshops, definitely. It's general 
uh, thing. Not, I wouldn't say it's a Muslim thing, right? But if you just look at men in general when it comes to opening up and talking about yeah. uh, problems, I'll, I'm going to put you on the spot and ask you. Um, <laughs> you're representing the whole male gender right now, no Brilliant. pressure. Okay. Um, but, but it's, it's of course, it's personality dependent. But generally, men have been taught since they were young not to open up, tough it out, you know, boys don't cry, you know, that kind of upbringing and attitude. Um, And there's not much sharing of emotions and feelings and that it's manly or safe to do so. I know there's a trend now that a lot of um, young men are doing, especially in the houses, opening up and talking about these things to create, you know, a softer um, kind of persona of what men are, because that's exactly how the Prophet Bayt were they they showed compassion and vulnerability and love and kindness and so these and and spoke and, and and got people to open up and talk to them so these are qualities that are not included in our culture when it comes to raising men yeah but and also women let's look at the gender here women um are more prone to are more likely to open up and speak about their problems so it becomes more acceptable for them to go and ask for help Whereas men to go and ask for help in general is unacceptable, right? Mm. And to ask help for emotional problems, that's even more of a bigger problem. Is this is this fed from culture. would you say this is sorry, would you say this is fed from sort of mm-hmm. gender stereotypes that we see in, in everywhere, like in the media and everything else and in movies everywhere. and TV? It's not it is. It's there. Like you said, in pop culture and social media, in film, in the media, it's all there. And within our own community and how they ra- how we raise our young men um it is there and then when we take that further within our own muslim community it's even more so and it's also don't forget nature here we're talking about nurture right now but there's also nature yeah. there's also in, in terms of how we're wired in terms of how we can express emotion and and it's generally given you know women are like that and men are more the tough protector type right so they're less likely to go and seek and talk about their problems. They'll go with their guys and play video games or shisha. You know, they're not going to talk about problems. Women will get grab their coffee and their girlfriends and go and talk about everything. I know I'm probably so generalizing at the yeah. moment, but we can relate to these. We can relate to these. However, it's really dependent upon people's personalities. You will have males who are very comfortable, of course, yeah. shedding a tear, talking about their emotions, talking about a problem. But it's also be realistic to say here how will this male be viewed upon within the community? Yeah. Not very masculine-like. And I think right? the difficulty the difficulty also comes from the fact that we obviously learn from our parents and, and our own upbringings. Mm-hmm. And so when, when you look at, at, at your father or a father figure or like a, a dominant male in your, in your life, you're obviously going to try and reflect those attributes and personality traits. And model that. And model exactly. that, right? So then when you're, when mm-hmm. you're looking at your kids, you're thinking this is how my dad treated me this is how i should treat my kids um and, and yeah. so and there's been a break in that trend though especially when young men these days are realizing that's not how it works yeah especially in the, in in the world that we live in where there has been and i see that here in this part of the world in canada north america where there are groups now for men men's mental health groups men against uh, violence and abuse um Ocean groups for men to be able to express men who've experienced violence and abuse as well. Yeah. Um, so there is a huge movement now, I find. Um, and this doesn't dema- emasculate men in any way. In fact, it gives the platform and a safe space for men yeah. to explore their emotions, 
if anything, it makes them stronger. It takes a lot of strength to be able to express emotion. It's, fu- it's funny and you mentioned. Sorry, you yeah. you mentioned that point about uh, emasculating men, and I was just thinking about that. I was, I, I, and maybe it's another conversation that's why we can I said have. It. I was reading your mind. I was reading your <laughs> mind because that's what I know goes through the mind of a male when we talk about deep things. I see it first. But I'm, I'm thinking. I'm thinking. Client. I'm thinking more in terms of like from a from a like almost like an Islamic perspective. We have these these yes. gender roles, which I think are there and defined. Um, um, Correct. I, and masculinity, I think, as a concept, and obviously now people talk about toxic masculinity and whatever else. But there is something in, and there are, you know, there are clear, there is, there are gender roles, right? And there are a difference of the sexes and whatever else. But where, I guess, where is that territory? What, what, what does it mean to be a man? That's something that we also need to kind of address. Yes, and especially in the world of the uprising toxic feminism, which I don't agree with whatsoever. I do believe it's un-Islamic. Um, it's confused a lot of people with their gen- traditional gender roles versus contemporary as well, um, because there has been a shift where you see a lot more women working out in the workplace and what happens with the children, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so there's a lot to be spoken about, especially from a mental health perspective here. And I yeah. think a lot of confusion as well in terms of the women who are you know exposed to this western idea of feminism and thinking that they are being liberated when in fact their own faith gives us that freedom but then you know there's a lot of confusion around that and it does impact people's mental health that's definitely an interesting um topic to explore um because you see a lot of um a lot of challenges and problems these days that um that are un-islamic when young women and men are trying to explore their their roles and their um, their gender roles, especially mm. in marriage, right? In relationships and families. I think mm. what's very interesting is that we've gone from a, a time and a place of being quite conservative um, in terms of how we express ourselves, like as men, for example. Um, and then when you kind of look around you and, as, you know, as we discussed, things like social media, pop culture, everything else, it's it's becoming, I feel, increasingly difficult to find that middle ground um, because the goalposts just keep moving and, and where society is at is, is constantly evolving and changing. So for me, it's always thinking about looking at things from a sort of God-centric perspective or a, a, you know, a God-conscious perspective and asking the question internally where that middle ground is, where should I be, where should I position myself in terms of... Um, being on any spectrum, I guess, when you look at any spectrum and any uh, topic, and you're talking about being liberal or conservative, we're going to be bang in the middle somewhere. Um, but finding mm-hmm. that middle ground is, I feel, becoming increasingly difficult. I don't know how you feel about that. I agree with you. And it has a huge impact on uh, young minds and mental well being and trying to figure out where they fit in the world, uh, the Western world, where they fit into. Muslim world within their own family within their own culture within their own age and 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 whatnot so it, it is and it could lead to mental problems if they don't have the process and all of that absolutely whether it's from support from the local centers mosque or an aunt and uncle that they can look up to and trust if you know anybody doesn't on a spiritual development quest of growth and understanding who they are if they don't have the proper supports it will be challenging and it could definitely impact their mental health, definitely. Yeah. 
And I think um, there's actually one, one, one other question coming back, or the full, if we can do a full loop all the way back to uh, seasonal affective disorder. Um, one other question yes. that was sent in to us about this. Um, the question says, my SAD makes it hard for me to keep up with my salah, which makes me feel guilty and mm-hmm. drives me into a depressive cycle. How can I fight my SAD and stop it from making me loose with my salah? Just wondering if you had any thoughts We've on said, that. Uh, just, just like we talked about general depression symptoms, yeah. depressions of SAD could pack you just the exact same way. What helps, I find, is if you could tell yourself, this is temporary. I will be experiencing these symptoms temporarily. And, and so that's part of helping get through something when you know it's just for a short period of time. Um, so it could be one. Um, but also educating yourself and understanding what SAD is all about yeah. and who can be at risk, how can treat it. So I'll give you some statistics that we have um, from the medical clinic where I work. So we look at who could be at risk. So first year university is full of changes and that can contribute to the development of that. Um, why? Well, because the physical move to university could involve a change of climate or latitude. And we did say that those who live closer to the equator or rather further, uh, Further from the equator. Sorry, live further from the equator, they would be more likely to experience that, which includes a lot of middle to northern latitudes, right? Yep. So um, that chain for international students definitely who are coming here could, you know, they could experience that. For example, a student's ability um, to cope may be compromised by increased and demands of university, which we know is there, of course. Um, Self-discipline is more important during university, we know, because parents are found not there to make sure that students are going to class, doing work. And so a lack of that could also contribute to that. Uh, And of course, the lack of early morning sunlight um, can also have a huge impact on that. Um, So we always encourage people, for example, who know they're more susceptible to, to that. Believe it or not, I have students who come see me in the summer, say, I want to make sure I have counseling support set up for me when winter happens because I'm more prone to get to getting SAD. That's wonderful. Become self-aware that this is something that happens to them. So they put in place. Another thing when we talk about light and room is to make sure that you do have your bed close to the window where in the morning you can get some sunlight. There are therapies which, such as light therapy which can be included to be part of your therapy. So you can buy this from specific drugstores or online and you sit in front of that morning with your coffee for half an hour and that can help with the um, decrease of melatonin built up in your body correct yeah so you want to be sitting in the classroom you want to be sitting by windows you want to have that sunlight even if there's no sun just light um, can have a huge impact on you bright uh, don't have uh, darkened um, blinds what they call it i forget uh the specific name for them don't have those in the winter because we don't get much sunlight anyways right Mm. so this type of exposure to sunlight uh, really has a huge impact on that there are alternatives to using antidepressants and seeing that therapist that can also as well um but there's there's also your basic stuff that we talk mental health challenges making sure you're exercising eating well getting as much natural sunlight as possible try to get proper sleep Installing bright light bulbs at home, um, having a timer on where you could turn, get the light to turn on half an hour sooner than needed to get, you know, your body awakened into that. Trying to maintain same daily patterns of sleep, um, 
so think like that. There's a lot of things that you can do that. But again, in your mind, recognizing this is just temporary and that you don't want to be making life-altering decisions during a time where you are more vulnerable. And we say that in general, but then this is something related to SA. Don't make any big decisions during this time that could impact your uh, future, just in case you were not in the full um, calm state of mind that you would be, let's say, in the spring or the summer, because you're more vulnerable during this time. Does that make sense? Yeah, of course. That makes perfect sense. Routine is important. So when we talk about salah, we know it's a routine right? Yeah. Um, and try to, to put your mind according to the part of my routine. That this is, you know, something that I know I will feel bad if I miss it or I delay it or, <clears throat> excuse me, don't do. So to always try and keep it as part of our routine, just like our eating, sleeping, exercise, having good relations and friends and getting rid of stress and just learning how to manage your stress appropriately because everybody responds to stress differently. That's brilliant. Um, I, I think uh, it's probably a nice place to close. Um, obviously, you've highlighted some of the ways to kind of combat this. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I'm, yeah, we, it's been a while since we've done one of these, and, and inshallah, we're you know we're hoping to do um, a lot more. Let's do more regular ones as part of our routines, as part of our as part of our regular mental health. Exactly, yes. as part of our routine, inshallah. we're, we're going to try and incorporate a few more of these kind of um, conversations and podcasts. Um, I just would like to make a few more suggestions specifically related to community. Even though it's cold and even though we don't feel like going out in the cold, still try to maintain your regular, for example, Thursday night um, gatherings, majalis or lectures or try to incorporate more activities during this time. Yes, it will may have to be indoor, but you know what? When it comes to the cold and we've learned as Canadians and I've learned myself is even when the cold comes, Embrace it. Wear your layers. Go outside. It's all about those layers. You can still have fun in the snow. We ski here. We skate. We have winter festivals. So don't limit yourself from staying indoors. And I say this especially to the international students who will bundle up, um, you know, as though they're walking around in blankets when they walk outside. Mm. Don't bother leaving. We need to have that fresh air. It does so much for our well-being. So just because it gets cold... Please do not stop doing the activities um, that still can get you out and connected within the community. It still gives you a purpose and, and an energy to do things despite the cold. So don't limit yourself. And that can be a huge part of well-being and treatment as well. Inshallah. Well, thank you so much, Barak. Thank you for your time today. I know you do these on your lunch break. Um, and, and the listeners are very grateful for you giving us your time. Um, and It is my pleasure, inshallah. We can do more to help our community, inshallah. Inshallah. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time. God bless you. Well, that's all for this week's podcast. Thank you very much for tuning in. If you haven't already, please do consider subscribing on Spotify, iTunes, the App Store, basically anywhere you can get your hands on the podcast. And um, be in touch if you have any feedback, suggestions or thoughts. You can reach me on editor at themuslimvibe.com. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wahed helps you become a halal investor in minutes. Clients from over 40 states have already started their journey with us. Here's how it works. First, we ask you eight simple questions to recommend a portfolio based on your risk profile. You then select your portfolio and simply sign up online. Your account can be approved in seconds. After you fund your account, we'll place the trades for you. All you have to do then is sit back and monitor your performance. It actually is that easy.